You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, David, Ricky, and everyone who has helped lead us, lead us this morning. Sorry, that was my fault. I didn't test before the service. As I was supposed to, I got called out talking with these wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. I am really glad that we're able to meet together like this all in one go. Thank you, Lord, for good weather. Thank you for being willing to come out and sit in those chairs, uh, which may or may not be more comfortable than the ones inside. I wanted to uh, reiterate uh, something that Ricky mentioned earlier. It's in the bulletin. In a couple of weeks after the second service, we're going to have a discovery lunch where those of you who are new to Grace, if you're just getting here, if you've been here three or four months and you just like to take the next step in your exploration of whether or not this is the church the Lord wants you to be, we'll have elders and staff at the discovery lunch. It'll be a very casual, informal meal, so you won't have to tell anything that you don't want to say, but we'll just get to know each other in that way. And I hope you can be here for that. Then in in May, we'll be having our uh, next Grace Connection class, which is a membership class. If you wish to be a member of Grace, that is a requirement. We don't assume that you're going to join because you're in there, but you are seriously considering if you get to that point. But you'll get to learn about who we are, what we believe, how our leadership is structured, how the church functions. So Discovery Lunch in two Sundays, last Sunday of this month after the second service, and then Grace Connection next month. Be listening for announcements on that. Well, here's a question. I want you to think about someone you know who is wealthy, and I mean really wealthy, possibly even fabulously wealthy. You know someone like that? I wonder how many of you thought of yourself. Because we are, by the world standards, historically and even present day, fabulously wealthy. So let's think about gifts and giving this morning. Do you prefer giving gifts or receiving gifts? Well, some of you knew the answer as soon as the question was asked. Like, yeah, yeah, I want... And the others of you, most of you probably said, well, I guess it depends. And it does depend, doesn't it? On age, for starters. I mean, when you're young, you want gifts, right? You're looking under the Christmas tree and perhaps you had an experience like I did where... A gift peeked out at you one time. It just the wrapping paper just sort of parted, and the and the gift looked out at you. Um, or maybe there are some children who like picking out gifts for the people on their list. But for the most part, when you're young, you really love receiving gifts. As you get older, though, you begin to take joy in giving gifts. To others, you, you you gain satisfaction from picking the perfect gift to give to someone 
you love. But do not discount the pleasure of receiving a carefully chosen or crafted gift from someone who knows you well enough to surprise you with the depth of his or her care. So next set of questions. Questions galore right at the beginning. Uh, how do you view life and a relationship with God? Ricky touched on this a while ago as we were coming to the Lord's table. Do you believe that you must earn whatever you receive both from God and from the world? Or are you aware that he alone can redeem you out of your spiritual poverty? Do you think you deserve what you have coming to you because you have been oppressed and intentionally excluded from the blessings that others enjoy? Or are you aware that you are as, in need, as much in need of mercy as anyone else? Giving and receiving can be trickier than it should be. On a micro level, our motive for giving, for giving to others might be to win their favor. Also, the receiver of gifts might start checking out all the gifts that everybody else is getting and how am I faring in this gift, this uh, abundance of gifts that are being given here. When one is giving to others, there could be social and political implications for the giver. Now, I want you to remember what I've done for you. It's unspoken, but the message is very clear. On a macro level or on a national level, we might be tempted to champion national exceptionalism that is far more about our achievements than it is God's blessings. Or conversely, we might be tempted to succumb to self-loathing and the nihilism of guilt that leads to destructive policies nationally and back to the individual. It leads to destructive decisions on our part. I'm just dissatisfied. I've got to make changes. But what if we understood that every good thing in life is a gift from God? God, being a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, did not create the world and humans out of need. He didn't need us. But he created this world to bless and gift us with his creation and with himself. He didn't have to create colors and aromas and tastes and mountains and seas and arable lands for our delight and sustenance. But he did. I remember the first time I was eating a rather expensive meal and thinking without the slightest bit of humor intended, someone ought to eat this food to the glory of God. Think about it. God made these incredible mixtures of flavors and aromas and textures. And a lot of people eat them thinking that they deserve them. We ought to eat to the glory of God. God need not have created relationships and communities and families and nations in which we might live and flourish. Although sometimes it doesn't work out like we want it to. But it pleased him to do so. It was not necessary for God to establish meaningful work 
through which we find purpose. But he blessed us and appointed us to be stewards of his creation. He need not have created male and female to delight us and improve our understanding of God and his ways. And in the, in the ways that he works in the world and what and how the world works best. But he did. And we could go on and on. The title of today's message is About Gifts and Giving. The text is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. But we will also spend time in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this morning. Before we read our text, just a little bit of context. Today and next Sunday, we'll conclude our time in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians here at the end of Paul's letter to this troubled church that existed in Corinth. The Corinthians did not realize they were as troubled as they were, which is why that Paul's letter tended to be harsh at times. Okay, much of the time. It's not characteristic of Paul's writings. You get it, a little bit of this sense of who Paul can be when, when too much is at stake to let go in the book of Galatians. But most of his, his letters are very encouraging. The Corinthians needed some correction. You can learn a lot about life in the Christian community when you read the end of Paul's letters where he is often dealing with housekeeping matters. And when I say life in the Christian community, I, I mean both in the local sense and in the broader sense and context of believers around the world. One of the reasons that we have the prayer focus like we do and emphasize often our missionaries who are serving in the far corners of the earth. The issue that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 16, and again, he will address it again in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, has to do with a special offering being gathered to take to the poor church members in Jerusalem. More about that in just a few. But for now, let's read our primary text, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll move over to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And since the chairs that you're sitting in might not be so easy to negotiate, I'll ask you to stay seated for the reading of the word this morning. Well, actually, it's because the last time Allison stood up, when she sat back down, she got stung, and so we're not going there again. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it, seems, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, the text raises a few questions, two questions in particular that I want to address. First, why was there a need to assist the poor saints in Jerusalem? Why were they poor? More poor in Jerusalem than they were in other places. Second, since Paul mentions the first day of the week, does this text support 
New Testament tithing uh, and or church offerings in uh, New Testament times. On the first question, the believers in Jerusalem were suffering, likely suffering because of their cultural context. Now, if you were Jewish man or woman living anywhere in a Jewish community around the empire, but particularly in, in, in Jerusalem, you can imagine all of these Jewish men and women lived together. They all went to temple. They all went. They were part of a synagogue in the area. And if you taught contrary to what the leaders of the synagogue taught, and they were teaching from the Old Testament, so if you taught that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus was God, and that he deserves and requires our worship, well, you were not only thrown out of the synagogue, you were shunned in the community. Not only was your social calendar lightened, but so was your wallet lightened as well, because nobody would do business with you. So there was a a big price to pay. And in fact, it, it's my guess. I just speculate this. I don't know if it's true. But but I think when, when, it, when you read in early Acts where all the people were selling pieces of property and bringing it to the, uh, the, the elders and the, the apostles for care of that money, is that they knew what was coming because in, if, if it was full-on exile, which lots of governments and communities did in the first century... <clears throat> then your property could be confiscated. I think it was kind of preemptive. They were saying, hey, let's give this to the Lord's work. So they were poor, not because they were poor stewards of their money, but because of their faith in Christ. Not only was Paul saying, let's help the brothers and sisters in need, but he was also following the, the principle that was established in Galatians 6 6. And again, it comes from Old Testament example. Those who minister spiritually should receive materially from those to whom they minister. That's the principle that was being followed here. Paul was saying, We've got to help these brothers and sisters. Where would any of us, not just the first church, First century church. Where would any of us be without the ministry of those Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who walked into this new life recognizing the cost for them and their families? On the matter of New Testament tithing, notice in verse 2 that Paul says to lay aside something on the first day of the week and store it up. So does that mean... Have a church offering every Sunday? It, no. In the first place, this was a special offering. Also, it is likely that Paul was encouraging them to put something aside at home so that when he arrived to collect and oversee the gathering and transfer of the offering to Jerusalem, there would not be a need for um, any embarrassing appeals to compensate for their lack of forethought and preparation for this special offer. The wording, the first day of the week, is literally the first after Sabbath, which speaks to the second question. 
does the New Testament support tithing? Now, we know that New Testament believers in the early church met on Sunday, the first day of the week. It was the day of Jesus' resurrection. The move from Saturdays, Saturday as the day of worship to Sunday might speak to a move to <clears throat> more than just a day chosen for worship, but away from many requirements of Old Testament worship. We know that animal-based sacrifices or animal sacrifices, sorry, were no longer necessary. And with the move from a law-based covenant to a grace-based covenant, the ceremonial laws were and still are no longer binding. I know that some, if not many of you, believe that 10% is expected of believers or required of believers. And while I don't think the New Testament teaches a required tithe, I do not disagree with you that we are called to give generously. And in fact, 10% is a bare minimum that we ought to be giving in response to the one who is the giver of all good things. It goes back to perspective. If everything is a gift, then we are stewards or managers of the good things God has given us. We are, in fact, blessed by God to be a blessing to others. It's why we miss so much when we are busily promoting ourselves all the time. We just want others to say, hey, 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 look at me. Look at me. I should have thought about that before I wore this Australian shirt, you know. I went to Australia, I don't think it affected me very much. But. but when we're constantly promoting ourselves and encouraging people to take notice of the good things that we're doing, we miss the truth that God has gifted us in ways that he has so that we will be in a position to bless others. It is at the core a lack of perspective and gratitude that makes us stingy with the good gifts that God has given to us. Jesus preached more about money than just about any other subject. Interesting text that Ricky chose this morning. I'm grateful that he did. But even in that text, Jesus was getting at something when he told the rich young ruler, sell everything that you have and come follow me. He wasn't saying that's the way to be saved. That's not the way we witness, right? If somebody says, I, I, I just don't feel right. I know I need to give my life to the Lord. What should I do? I hope you will never say, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Jesus was identifying the idol in this man's life. He was saying, whatever it is that stands between you and God, it needs to go. If you want to be in relationship with God, give it up. Why, why should we do that? Because he's going to give to us in, in ways that we never dream if we will follow him with our whole heart. So at the core, our struggle with giving to the Lord's work and to the, and, and to the people who need help both in and out of the church is a lack of perspective and a gratitude and, and, and a lack of gratitude that makes a stingy with the good gifts God has given. Jesus talked about money, the epistles, much less 
focused on giving than Jesus was. So why do you sus suspect that that is? This again is, is speculative, but when you drill down into Jesus' teachings, you'll find there's a great deal of focus on exposing hypocrisy and false teaching from the Jewish leaders of the day that promoted good works for salvation rather than trusting God's promises. So the rich young ruler thought, well, I must be really good with God because look at how he's blessed me. And Jesus put his finger on the man's idol and said, no, that's not why God blessed you. Never thought about this before. It's going to surprise you when you go back and you read through the parables. They're not designed to be like Aesop's fables, moral tales that tell us how to live better lives. Surely we can benefit from that. But for the most part, the parables are delineating between those who believe and those who don't. And those who don't were often easily identified in these parables as the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians, the lawyers and scribes, those who thought they were at the top of the spiritual food chain. And Jesus was pointing out their hypocrisy, the way that they use money to bring renown to themselves and to not help those in need, but to do something that would give them better standing in the, in the community. Well, they didn't like the way he was doing it. So think about it. Even parables such as the Good Samaritan, um, it, it, it's, it's surely, surely something that will help us, but when you think about the Good Samaritan, it was given or told by Jesus to expose the hypocrisy and racism of Pharisees. <clears throat> Even as much as it was told to emphasize the mercy of the Samaritan. Think also about the parable of the prodigal son, which was primarily designed to show the danger of being the self-righteous older brother <clears throat> who refused to acknowledge the goodness of the father in his delight in bringing repentant sinners into the fold. In Jewish culture, throwing a party for self-indulgent homeless men who had thrown away every, every single thing that they had been given did not promote a religion in which, in which one is saved by good works. But it does highlight the mercy of a loving and forgiving father, which we now know, according to God's plan, is because Jesus is the one who was good enough and who died for our sins. We are saved the same way God's people have always been saved, by believing the promises of God, which are now centered in Jesus. So one of the reasons that people reject such a message and understanding of the New Testament is that they assume that teaching like this, teaching the grace of God and the mercy and forgiveness of God will promote at best carelessness and at worst wickedness, all done in the name of Jesus. The New Testament response to such uh, 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 an understanding is then 
If you think that's what it's all about, you don't know the grace of God. If you think that God does not care how his children live, you have a misunderstanding of this life and of God's grace. We've been given a good dose of correction to such thinking as we have worked through 1 Corinthians, where Paul has directly criticized ungodly living and the impulse to bring the ways of the world into the church. In thinking that a posture of accommodation will attract the world's interest and attention, we miss the reality that the world is fully committed to its current agenda and wants nothing to do with the half-hearted acceptance of the way that it's heading. That's not always a difficult line to understand, isn't it? Well, I surely don't want to offend those who don't know Christ. I want to gain an audience. And we think that by saying, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, okay, yeah, I can. I believe that. But the world, maybe that worked 20 years ago, but the world is done with that. They're heading one direction, and if you're not all in, then you're part of hindering the agenda. Only by offering a contrast that is undergirded with the spirit of gratitude, joy, and responsibility can we hope to gain an audience that allows for open conversations about gospel matters. When someone wants to know why your churches, why churches are always talking about money, you can say, well, it's not true of our church. We don't talk about money that often. But receive their criticisms as a good opportunity to talk about gifts and giving in response to a loving and generous God. You can ask, why do you think that a creator God who gives good gifts would want his people to give. Furthermore, what are the blessings of a generous spirit as opposed to a miserly, stingy way of approaching life? I, I tell saved and lost alike, your life will be much better if you give to the causes that are important to you. You can speak about most things in context of our response to God's gifts, even the way that he created us, male and female, in his image. We were specially designed to bless others according to his plan. So, as I've already mentioned, the New Testament epistles do not talk a great deal about giving, partly because the pattern for giving is already laid out in Old Testament Jesus spoke a lot about it, and partly because it seems to me that giving should just be a natural response, response for believers. The one place in the New Testament that deals thoroughly and fully with giving, although it's only addressing this special offering, is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So we'll spend the rest of our time in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, thinking about the general principles that are laid out here for grace given. And, and, and we're more than halfway through, so don't think this is, you know, at the end of a long introduction. As we've recently covered with church discipline, there's no one text in the New Testament where you can say, okay, here it is, plain and simple, this is what God expects of you. 
But if you put it all together, you'll begin to get a big picture of New Testament giving. And while we won't have time to do all of that, nor will we be able to read very much of these two chapters, it will be helpful if you have your Bible open or your phone open to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So you can be reading along during uh, these points. Paul is following up his initial encouragement uh, in 1 Corinthians 16 for members to give this special offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. So let's consider four principles for grace giving found here. Beginning with, giving is more about who we are than what we do or what we give. It starts here. It's not just looking at the records. It's who we are. Giving is more about who we are than what we do or give. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 through 7. When you read these two chapters, you sense a gentle spirit from the apostle who had been so direct with these same believers in his letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians had received many of, the, of Paul's rebukes in the first letter, and they had repented, which allowed the apostle to assume a softer tone in this letter. Even so, Paul is challenging the Corinthians with the examples of the Macedonians, uh, churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And he's saying, you know, I, I just want to tell you about these guys. They're dirt poor. And he implies that he had given them a pass. He, he, that he said in so many words, look, you guys, you don't need to worry about this offering. There are lots of other churches that can take care of this. But he said they begged. They begged to be a part of the offering. How could Paul refuse such an offer? Their hearts were in the right place. It wasn't just being about being part of an empire-wide campaign, although there was that. But these believers first dedicated themselves to God, and then they did the right thing. In the same way that understanding that God is the source of all good gifts positively affects the way we perceive and live in this world, giving ourselves first to God directs the use of our resources in a manner that is pleasing to him and beneficial to us and to all around us. The second principle is this. Generosity is a response to the grace of God. Generosity is a response to the grace of God. It is God who makes us rich through Jesus' poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 to 15. The first two verses say this, verses 8 and 9. I say this about your giving, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. We see it in the Macedonians. I, I've told them that you're going to be generous. Prove it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. That's why we call it grace giving. When we think about the new heavens and the new earth, 
speaking with my uncle last night on the phone, whose wife is going on to be with the Lord, and he was talking about how Kathy and Linda are now seeing things that they never dreamed imaginable. They're never hungry. They're never tired. They're never lonely. Everything good. When you think about the new heavens and the earth, and, and you start by thinking about the beauty and bounty that bombards our senses even now, being magnified, magnified beyond what we can imagine. You recognize how blessed we are. Jesus, and you also recognize what Jesus left. Jesus left heavenly realms where he was in perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. And where he was worshipped by magnificent beings. He left all that to be born a helpless babe in circumstances that are almost unthinkable to us. He was, as Isaiah 53 tells us, despised and rejected by the very ones he created. He died a humiliating death reserved for criminals and the scum of society. And Jesus gave all this so that we might wrestle with the great philosophical questions in the church in our generation, such as, should I tie on the gross or the net? Perspective. When we acknowledge that everything we possess is a gift from God, and when we recognize that when we give, we are extending God's grace to others. Maybe it's somewhere in there that giving becomes a joy rather than a burden. It is through giving both to those inside and outside of the church that we share the love of Christ with the world. Even though he was speaking about his life being given for missionary service, Jim Elliott's words should also guide our hearts for giving. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Others may think you're a fool to be so generous, and in fact, you may question your own sanity at times. Should I really do this? But as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The third principle from this text is all church finances must meet the highest ethical standards of accountability. The ways that we handle money at church, the ways that we give our money, we're accountable for all of that. I'll say the least about this portion of the text, but Paul had quite a bit to say about making certain there were no shenanigans in the handling of money shared by God's people to help those in need. That's why we have multiple layers of accountability for the funds that come to and through Grace Community Church. Maybe you don't think about it. When you think about praying for the ministries of grace, you might not think about praying for the benevolence team who has a great deal of responsibility in directing the, the generous funds that you give to help those in need, again, both in the church and outside the church. Ricky Mill and I were talking the other day. I meet with Ricky maybe once a month. He always wants to know what text I'm preaching on 
And then he's got something to share, which is great. That opening question. Think of someone fabulously wealthy. That came from Ricky. He said, I always ask that. We don't think of ourselves as wealthy. But we were talking about people who come to churches asking for money and how they use different voices sometimes on the phone and they have different circumstances. And it makes it difficult. But there's no question the Lord tells us to help the poor. So what do you do? You get a pretty solid benevolence team. And pray for them as they disperse these funds. Brothers and sisters, be honorable in all matters involving money. All matters. Pay your taxes, as we heard Jesus say to the Pharisees and Herodians from our Palm Sunday text a few weeks ago. And keep your heart in check for all that must that you must give as well as what you gladly give. So, again, I never thought about this until a few weeks ago. I was talking with my son. He had some unexpected tax expense this year. And he said, you know, really, you ought to think about it the same way that you give offerings. This is not my money. And the spirit of generosity, it's hard to... Turn it off here and put it on here. I'm hoping this particular point won't get me fired. But think about it. When you pay your taxes, recognize this is no more your money than anything else that you have is. Do what you're supposed to do and keep a spirit. What happens when you come into an unexpected windfall of cash? Not even a win. Just you come into some money that... Someone gives you unexpectedly or some insurance company says, hey, we overcharged you. Here's the money back. And you get it and you start thinking about all the things you're going to do with that money. And the next day your transmission goes out. You know? And you're like, oh, man. It seems like it always happens. You think you've got extra, then something comes along to claim that money right away. Well, rather than having the old man kind of attitude, why don't we say thank you, Lord? Thank you that you provided for me ahead of time, even before I knew I was going to need it. Well, be honorable and be right with God in all the ways that you use your finances in the kingdom. And then remember the truth of this last principle from our text. Generosity will be rewarded. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. And we could do no better for this point than to read the word. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And it's a principle that, of life that goes well across, the, beyond the borders of the church. You're stingy, life is stingy to you. You're generous, it comes back to you. Each one, verse 7, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, and you may know that that could be translated hilarious giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good works. In every good work. Now think about it. It doesn't say, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may follow your dreams. Oh, he says, so that you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can again follow your... No, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I'm looking forward on Tuesday night to being at Lyft. I know a lot of the college students will be there. And I want to talk more just about how we handle our finances going forward. Because I will say this, if you're a young adult, if you're a teenager, a young adult, I'll say this about giving. If you don't get it right now, it most likely isn't going to come later. I do expect you to understand that that is a challenge to those of you who are older and not giving. But it's really difficult later in life to start giving. And the place where we begin to think about how we're giving is to know and understand and remember the grace of God is given to us through Jesus. Amen. It truly is about our perspective. Let's pray. Father, I, I doubt any of us, day in and day out, just thinks, I have so much. And even if we think that, we're tempted to think, the Lord has allowed me to work hard to earn it. But we really, everything, everything good that we have is a gift from you. Father, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts 
that we're not likely to do on our own. We pray that you would make us to be givers in reflecting and radiating your love to us through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that leaving the riches of glory, you became poor so that through your poverty, we might become rich. The richness and the riches of eternity are ours in Christ. We give thanks and yield ourselves again to you, just as the Macedonians did. We give ourselves first to you, that we might meet the needs of others. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.